RTHK News. It's one o'clock. I'm Bill Robertson. The top stories, a Democratic Party lawmaker warns that the Medical Council is unlikely to OK the latest attempt to solve the city's doctor shortage. One of the Occupy founders calls on the government to resume talks for political reform and the Sports Commissioner vows that the Kaitak Mega Sports Park won't go over budget and will be built on time. Democratic Party lawmaker Helena Wong says she's not optimistic that a new plan by the Medical Association to exempt overseas doctors from internships here will be passed at a Medical Council meeting early next month. Under the proposal, overseas doctors working in the hospital authority, the SAR's two medical schools or the Department of Health can instead obtain 18 months of clinical experience. But Ms Wong says the plan won't help attract overseas doctors to work here. Actually, it is closing door policy to give more obstacles to deter those overseas specialists to come to Hong Kong. They're not giving us any definition by what constitutes clinical practices. If we have to narrow it down to you have to stay in the public hospital to do inpatient service, and then that would be the only understanding on that you have fulfilled the clinical requirements. I think we are just sending a signal to everybody that actually you are not welcome to come to Hong Kong. Occupy co-founder Reverend Chu Yu Ming has urged the government to restart consultation for political reform. He was the only one among the three Occupy founders who was given a suspended sentence for public nuisance charges, while his partners Benny Tai and Chan Kin Man were locked up for 16 months. Reverend Chu says the government needs to hear from the public, and he says the government would only spark more discontent if it closes its doors. My wish is that uh, the government, as an open government, create an avenue let the people's voice be heard. Before they close their ears or shut their doors, I think it's the tragedy in Hong Kong's future. Sports Commissioner Yung Tak Kung says he's confident that a $30 billion mega sports park in Kai Tak won't go over budget and the work can finish in 2023 as scheduled. The 28-hectare Kai Tak sports park will house a main stadium that can accommodate 50,000 spectators as well as an indoor sports centre. Mr Young says the contractor will face a daily fine of $4.3 million if the project can't be completed on time and he believes this will be a sufficient deterrent. He added that although the operator can rent facilities out for non-sports purposes such as concerts, sports will still be the main focus. In the contract, we also specify that uh, for the indoor sports centre, two-thirds of the time should be used for sports purposes. So uh, it is also specified in the contract. The Sports Commissioner also said there are mechanisms in place to ensure that the operator of the future Kaitak Sports Park won't be able to reap profits by renting sports facilities out to the public for high fees. The 28-hectare Mega Sports Park will house a main stadium that can accommodate 50,000 spectators as well as an indoor sports centre. Mr Young says the contract includes terms to make sure that the public can book facilities at affordable prices. We have specified in the contract that the fees level for using the facilities should be in line with the facilities in LCSD venues and other venues of NGOs and non-profit making organisations. So we will make sure that the uh, fee levels will follow this contract provision. 
Sri Lanka's security forces say they have fought a gun battle with suspected Islamist militants in the east of the country. The clashes took place on Friday night in Sinthamaruthu, south of the coastal town of Batakaloa. When troops moved in after dawn on Saturday to clear the area, police said they found 15 bodies, including suspected gunmen and some civilians caught in the crossfire. The country has remained on high alert since the Easter suicide attacks that claimed more than 250 lives. Meanwhile, the United States has urged its citizens to reconsider any plans to go there. The BBC's Chris Buckler is in Washington. The US State Department had been urging people to exercise caution, but now it has raised its travel warning to the second highest level and urged American citizens to reconsider making any trips to the country. The US government has also ordered all of its employees to take their school-aged children out of Sri Lanka. Officials didn't give specific details, but said they were concerned that terrorist groups were continuing to plot further attacks and that hotels, shopping malls and government facilities could be among the places targeted. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past one. Donald Trump has said he will withdraw the United States from the International Arms Trade Treaty for Conventional Weapons. Addressing the annual meeting of the National Rifle Association, Mr Trump said he would ask the US Senate not to ratify the pact, which was signed by his predecessor, Barack Obama. Under my administration, we will never surrender American sovereignty to anyone. We will never allow foreign bureaucrats to trample on your Second Amendment freedom. And that is why my administration will never ratify the UN Arms Trade Treaty. I hope you have. A survey by a British consumer watchdog has found that some of the most popular fitness trackers are so unreliable that they miscalculate the distance of a marathon by nearly 18 kilometres. Tests were carried out by the agency, which, on 85 fitness devices, the BBC's Lisa Costello has more details. Which conducted tests using a calibrated treadmill to log steps taken and the distance travelled. It found some trackers made the tester run much further than 42.16 kilometres to log a marathon, while others clocked the distance when the tester hadn't run far enough. Garmin's Vivo Smart 4 device was out by the most, making the tester run 59.54 kilometres. But Samsung's Gear S2 wasn't far behind, demanding 58.25. Sport and Liverpool have powered back to the top of the English Premier League as Nabi Keita's goal, after just 15 seconds, inspired a 5-0 rout of Huddersfield. Jurgen Klopp's side struck three times in the first half at Anfield, with Keita bagging Liverpool's fastest ever Premier League goal before Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah also got on the score sheet. Mane and Salah netted again in the second half to move the Reds two points clear of second-placed Manchester City, who will overtake Liverpool if they win at Burnley tomorrow. Now let's look ahead to more action in the English Premier League. With just three games left to play for, it's going to go right down to the wire. Liverpool's back on top, but they need Manchester City to slip up. The BBC's John Bennett has more. So this weekend, it's all eyes on Turf Moor. That's the home of Burnley, who hosts City days after holding Chelsea to a draw at Stamford Bridge. Burnley are out of relegation trouble after a positive 2019, but any optimism from the Liverpool fans is dampened by the fact that City have played Burnley twice this season, winning both matches by five goals to nil. The race for the top four is also extremely close, with Man City and Liverpool assured of a top two finish, 
Four teams are battling it out for the remaining two places. Tottenham are in the driving seat in third with 70 points and a win over West Ham would make them almost unstoppable. Manchester United in sixth must beat fourth-place Chelsea to maintain their hopes and fifth-placed Arsenal have lost their last two matches so need the points against Leicester City. Meanwhile, in the relegation battle, Cardiff could move level on points with 17th-place Brighton if they beat Fulham and Brighton lose to Newcastle. Those are some of the matches to look forward to. This is John Bennett at BBC Global Sport. Montenegro's national football team will have to play their next home match behind closed doors. The order comes as a result of racist abuse by some of their supporters in the Euro 2020 qualifier in Podorica last month directed at England players. England won the game, but it was overshadowed by chanting aimed at several players, including Raheem Sterling and Danny Rose. But will one match in an empty stadium be seen as a strong enough punishment? Here's the BBC's Richard Conway. I think it will inevitably open that debate again about what we're seeing from football's authorities about appropriate levels of sanctions. Kick it out, the anti-racism football charity has tweeted tonight that ever since England's black players received this shocking abuse, we have called for the strongest punishment. It says this decision falls way short of that. UEFA will, I'm sure, when they're asked about this, talk about how they have gone past their initial level of sanction. It's a partial stadium closure for a first-time offence. But they've clearly gone above that and closed the stadium entirely. There'll have to be a banner on display as well. Lots of people look at that and think, is that enough to affect behaviour change? Is that enough to stop this kind of vile discrimination from taking place within football? World snooker champion Mark Williams sought hospital treatment after suffering chest pains during the opening session of his second round match against David Gilbert yesterday. Williams experienced the pains as he lost the opening session against Gilbert 5-3 at the World Championship in Sheffield. But the Welshman later revealed doctors are confident his health scare is not related to his heart. The last 16 matches due to resume at about 5 o'clock this afternoon, Hong Kong time, at the Crucible, and Williams hopes to be well enough to play. And to end the news, the top stories once again. A Democratic Party lawmaker warns that the Medical Council is unlikely to OK the latest attempt to solve the city's doctor shortage. And one of the Occupy founders calls on the government to resume talks for political reform. That's the news from RTHK. 24 hours a day, this is RTHK. And welcome to this week's edition of World Vibes with myself, Pierre Tremblay, with you till 3pm. This week we have two musical themes on offer. First, a new roundup of hot new hits from a surprising number of places on the planet. And we sample tracks from our featured new EP from Burkinabo Afropop diva, Candy Guira. And as always, Giovannetti says it so well in Italian, we're still the belly button of the world. And we start off with a few hot new tracks from a surprising number of places on the planet, starting off with Puerto Rico slash US duo Nicky Jam and Osuna. Yep, there's going to be reggaeton for the dance floor. Nicky Jam, born Nick Rivera Caminero, was born in Boston uh, of a Dominican mother, Puerto Rican father, moved to Puerto Rico when he was 10, Got the nickname Nicky Jam over there, given by a homeless man when he was working at a supermarket, apparently, and recorded his first album at the age of 14. He's been recording since 1994. He's accompanied here with Osuna, 
and he, uh, full name, Juan Carlos Osuna Rosado, born in Puerto Rico, is a very famous uh, reggaeton and uh, Latin trap singer who's been recording since 2012. He's born in the capital, San Juan. Uh, both his parents are from the Dominican Republic. Uh, and uh, he has just released uh, this hit with Nicky Jam. It's his fifth single of the year, whereas Nicky Jam hasn't had uh, an album since uh, the last two years. <laughs> 